Welcome to Not Just Rainbows and Unicorns, a podcast made with love in Kalamazoo, Michigan by Nicole and Michael Van Putten. We take topics we find interesting and we research them online. Then we get together each week and we talk about them. You can visit us online at notjustrainbows.net. There you can view show notes, add your comments, or send us your suggestions for future episodes. And we'd love to hear from you. Well, happy podcast Saturday, Nicole. We've uh, got another episode ahead of us here uh, looking at the show notes. We want to talk about a lot of different topics today, which should be pretty fun. Um, Let's start out with updates. Podcast updates. We have an update on our generator. Uh, We had, I think his name was Paul. Was that right? His name was Paul? She's nodding. Yes. Um, came back on Friday and he wired our generator. And so now if we have a power outage, we have a really simple switch that we can flip. We can attach our generator and just run it straight into our main power panel, which is pretty nifty. I wish that we had this a couple weeks back. It would have been really, really handy. But the beautiful thing is now we've got this set up so that if we do lose power, whether it's during the summer when we need to be able to have AC because it's too hot or if it's because it's the middle of winter, we can keep our heat going. So it's fantastic. It didn't cost very much to do. It was a total of about $600 in parts and labor. Um, And we luckily found, I think we mentioned Paul on a previous episode, he was a, a very skilled electrician who we found via our favorite HVAC person, Mark Norris. So we are now in super generator competency land. Um, One of the things I really liked about Paul too is he told me a lot of things to keep an eye out for with our generator, like not using the standard fuel that you get at the gas station. Evidently, there are multiple kinds of gasoline. I think we talked about this in the last episode. There is like regular gasoline that has some additives and things for engines. It's typically intended to be used in a very short time frame. Within a couple of weeks, it can start to destabilize and, and have changes in it. And then there's this recreational gasoline, which is just, I guess, pure gasoline. And that is the kind that we need to use in generators. Um, the other thing he taught me is that as a generator is running, I, there's a whole bunch of things that I don't know about engines and everything. But I, I know that there's a thing called a carburetor. Couldn't tell you what it does. But he explained when you're shutting down the generator, you want to, rather than just turning the generator off, you want to switch off the fuel feed and let the generator just exhaust whatever fuel it has left in the system without pulling more fuel from the main tank. And that prevents wear, damage, other gunky things from happening to the carburetor and keeps the generator running for a longer time. So that is pretty cool. Uh, Next up, we wanted to have an update about dog adoption. Nicole, what's been going on with dog adoptions? We looked at a dog in Indiana at the same place that we found Wilhelmina. And so we're going down there next weekend to visit her. And hopefully it'll work out. It's a new adventure and we don't know. What are the odds of that happening? We, we've like looked at a lot of different dogs and we've wound up reconnecting with the place where we adopted Wilhelmina from. What? How, how do these things happen? I don't know. 
we I saw her on Pet Finder. I don't know. The dog is very young, and so I'm a little bit hesitant. It, yeah, that's understandable. Um, why, what about puppies do you think is important to keep in mind for people who might be thinking about adopting a puppy? Puppies are a lot of work. They are a lot of work, and if you aren't used to puppy energy, it's a lot different than a senior dog. So it's, it's a lot of work. All right. Well, other updates that we have, we have been playing a new game on the switch this week of Nicole bravely tried Mario Kart eight deluxe. I have a a little, uh, online, site that I use called Deco Deals, which is really cool because you can specify games that you're interested in getting and it will alert you when said games go on sale. And so Mario Kart was like 33% off this past week via um, Amazon and a couple other online sellers. And we, we had looked at this game a couple times before and racing games oftentimes are not Nicole's jam, which is understandable. We all have favorite games and genres, but uh, we went ahead and tried it. And you actually had a couple tracks on it that you seemed to enjoy. What What was your impression of Mario Kart Eight Deluxe? It was a fun game. It was you got to pick your own player, and you could make your own person and pick your own car it was a it was eventually a fun game I enjoyed it more than I thought it would more than I thought I would it was uh it was fun you got to play on different tracks and it wasn't just one loop around and around you got to play on um different like cities villages I don't know it was different Mario tracks that were I think it was different Mario lands from different games, but it wasn't just like a track that went in a circle. You had to go around and choose different ways to go around the same track. And then there were different characters from the Mario games that were involved that were controlled by the game itself. I think there was two power-ups that the computer kept using on us that drove us absolutely crazy. You know which ones I'm talking about? Um, the, the squid and the little lightning shell thing. Yeah. That made you itty-bitty tiny. Like yeah. one makes it so you're blind, you can't see hardly anything, which you know has its own challenges. The other makes you small and you go really, really slow. I don't know which character kept throwing them at us but somebody did and so that was a challenge we tried a a mode called battle mode and i think we were both perplexed by that because things moved so quickly and it was so hard to track where the computer was to be able to go and get them i don't think we may come back to that but that was kind of a surprising struggle to try to do that mode yeah that and the uh the balloons I didn't. Yeah, the balloons was the battle mode where you get hit five times and then you're out. There's like a couple modes within battle mode. I think there was like balloons and there's like a couple others in there. Maybe we'll try some of the other modes and they'll be better. Yeah, it was a it was a fun game. I enjoyed it. I didn't expect to, but it was it was pretty good. 
one of the things that we noticed too is that it has like a lot of tracks and so we were looking through them and one of them were like oh cool this track should be fun and a little screen popped up it's like you buy the expansion pack and we were both kind of surprised by that and you thought that was kind of a cheap thing to do and I, I think you're right about it. I, one of the observations I had is that when the game first launched, those tracks were probably not visible um, in the menu because they didn't exist yet. And when they brought out the expansion pack, they probably just patched the base game and you can see all of the extra new tracks in there. But if you haven't purchased the expansion you can't play them and the expansion's not cheap it's like i don't know 25 30 bucks or something like that we may pick it up at some point we um we did get that expansion pack for animal crossing new horizons that added new content like that but it feels a little bit cheap where you just bought the game and then to potentially experience all that's in the game you have to pay more on top of it I think there's probably some better ways they could have done that to make it a little bit more of a friendly or a more consistent experience. Yeah, it did, I I didn't like it. They list all of the tracks that you can race on, and then when you click on the ones on the bottom, you find out you can't actually use them. It's not fair. Yeah, not cool, Nintendo. They um they also have a thing where you can you have to pay to be able to play online against other players, which is pretty standard for most gaming companies. Like Xbox has something that they call Xbox Live. PlayStation has I don't know what they call it because I don't have a PlayStation. I used to a long long time ago. Uh, I think the last PlayStation I had was a PlayStation Two. But um, you have to pay a monthly fee to be able to connect to online services for it, which I guess is, is okay. It's, it's an ongoing cost for them to maintain the servers and patch it and everything else. Um, but then they also have like a premium level of it where if you buy that premium level, in addition to being able to play like emulations of like Nintendo and Super Nintendo games, you also can play emulations of like N64 games and a whole bunch of other premium stuff. And one of the things that they include with that is if you pay for this extra fee, then you get that Mario Kart expansion pass completely for free. Um, but I just, I don't like the subscription model for things. I'd like to be able just to buy it and play it and be good. And it just doesn't work that way in modern digital times. So there's all that. Um, I think that's up for uh, all of the things for the updates. Do you have anything else that you wanted to update? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, next up in the show notes, we've got headphone maintenance. Nicole and I both have these really nice Bose headphones um, they're noise canceling. I think I got mine with like a Christmas gift certificate that your mom, uh, got for me, which was really cool. You had had yours for a long time just because they help kind of block out a lot of the environmental sound with, if you're having a, a bad day or a headache or things like that. And inevitably we use these a lot and that wear and tear eventually we were both seen on the ear pads that came with these headphones and i didn't know if that meant we had to replace the entire headphone itself or if there was other options but you 
turned to the internet and you did some research as you're very gifted at doing. And what did you find? They make replacement ear pad that you can buy and they're not very expensive. Bose doesn't make them, but a lot of different companies do. You just order them from Amazon and they just click right on. They make the replacement a pad for the top of the head too, but I think it wraps around so it's a little bit different. But the ear pads just click on and you can get different colors and it just makes your headphones like new again. So And they feel nicer on your ears because it's not quite scraggly like it was before. You don't have little disintegrated bits of fabric falling onto your clothing and stuff when you're wearing them. How much did you pay for the ones that we got? Um I don't Was it like 10 bucks or something like that? They're $15, $15 a pair and they come less expensive, but the ones that I got came with a little tool in them and people said that the tool is worth the extra couple dollars. So I, I would agree with that. If I didn't have the tool, I'd have a hard time completely getting them on. Like I, I was in charge of doing the swap out for both of ours. So I did mine first and was a little bit afraid because the first step is to hold the padded part and pull it off. So I was like, uh, what am I going to tear apart and will I be able to get it back together again? But I followed the instructions. I did it. I, I pull it off and on the bottom of it, there essentially is like a plastic ridge or nub and the replacement pads have a, a part that has to essentially need a little help to get underneath that so that essentially kind of like locks securely in place and that's where the tool comes into play and it's just kind of like a flat toothpick type thing um was a little tricky to do but with persistence it worked and i've been like when i first switched them out on mine i initially thought well the other ones felt like they were a little bit more luxurious softer leather and now that i've had them on for a while i don't notice the difference at all I think they were actually pretty nice, high quality. I don't know how long they will last. Eventually, we'll probably have to replace them. But $15 for a headset that usually costs at least 100 to a couple hundred dollars more, depending on what version of the uh, Bose noise-canceling headphones you get, that's a small price to pay to be able to get some more life out of them versus having to pay $100 or more to replace your headphones because they've worn out so good on the companies the aftermarket really delivered on that it's, it's i didn't realize that bose does not offer that at all it's kind of a, a crappy thing on their part apple takes a lot of flack for all of the kind of pre-planned obsolescence of their devices so that eventually you just have to throw it away and replace it which creates a lot of electronic waste if people had to do that every single time to get a new headphones, I mean, it's great for the Bose company because, hey, revenue. But if you're just forcing people to needlessly buy another set of electronics because of a pad that has worn out, it's kind of crazy. And those pads can't cost them more than like a couple dollars to make, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would imagine it's not an expensive part and it's extends the life of the the headphones there's no reason why we would have to buy new headphones they work perfectly well with a new with a new pad on it so i i don't know yeah 
So next up, we wanted to talk about time changes. Um, I know that we had, I think, a complete episode about time changes around this time last year. I still can't remember whether it's daylight savings time or daylight saving time. Um, but is it already that time of year, Nicole, for the time change to occur? It is. We spring forward tonight. We lose an hour of sleep and it's just time for the time to change. So we usually have a, a, a list of things that we do when the time changes. We, um, we always check all of our smoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors to make sure that we don't have to replace any of them. Um, we uh, change all of the filters on our our uh, air conditioner, and if you have a heating system, you should change those filters as well. You should clean out your dryer vent and your duct work on your dryer, and you should clean out the back of your refrigerator and the front, the little vent on the front of your fridge. Just use a vacuum and clean out that. Um, you should also reverse your ceiling fan because the weather is going to change. And if you use a ceiling fan, I can't remember what it is, but the way the ceiling fan blows when the weather is warmer, it should blow air down because hot air rises. I don't know. Just reverse it so that it's blowing the opposite direction. Um, if you have a drain in your basement, that you don't use a lot, you should pour water down it. Technically, you should be doing this every month, but if you don't ever do it, you should pour hot water. Just get a bucket of hot water and just pour the bucket down there, and it will prevent it from smelling, and it will prevent it from um, from any animals from coming up the drain. And there's some kind of condition called like a dry drain that can be problematic and it prevents that from happening. We'll have to like go into that in more detail at some time. I, I did a quick Google search about fan rotation for the winter and the, uh, the web says that the ceiling fan should be spinning in the counterclockwise direction during the summer months and clockwise in the cooler winter months and fall months that that helps the air flow in the correct direction. So clockwise winter, counterclockwise summer. So we should be changing it to the counterclockwise direction pretty soon. Yeah. Most fans just have like a little switch that you just flip right at the top. Our fan has a remote control. So you have to, every single time the time changes, we have to Google it and you have to press like three buttons at the same time and hold them down. And it's stupidly complicated, but my parents' fans, you just have a little switch and you climb up on the bed and you flip it and it's done. But ours is fancy and you don't even have to climb up on the bed. There's probably still a switch up there if, if needed, I would imagine. But yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and also you should um, check your your medicine cabinet and throw away any, I guess not throw away because really if you have Tylenol or Advil or whatever that's in there, ibuprofen that's out of date, just keep it. Honestly, Tylenol and ibuprofen and stuff that's out of date is still going to work years after it's out of date. But 
if you need to look in your medicine sup- medicine cabinet and restock supplies like band-aids and stuff that need to be restocked, you should do that. You should be doing that regularly, but I know life gets in the way, so now is a good time to remind yourself to do it. Last thing is to uh, pillows and blankets. You um, should take the time to throw your pillows in the dryer if you don't want to take the time to wash them. Just throw your pillows in the dryer for a good 30 minutes on high heat. It will kill any germs. And if you don't already have them, buy uh, pillow protectors. They're usually called like um, dust covers or something. They zip up and they will help you to protect your pillows from absorbing all of the sweat and dead skin cells that you put off at night. And then you can just wash those instead of having to wash your pillows. But you should wash your pillows or put them in the dryer today and then take your duvet covers off and wash those. You really should wash your down comforters or comforters, but I know it's a pain in the neck. So if you can, put them in the dryer. 30 minutes will kill germs. Or if you have Otoban, spray everything down with Otoban. Open the windows, air everything out that's good. So just try to kill as many germs as you can. We have a better life because of all of these tips that you have. Um, I think we wanted to move into what we intend to be our final segment of the show today. But before we do, just because we really respect and have empathy for a lot of people, we're going to talk about something about dogs that some people who have had dogs might find triggering. So if you sometimes feel emotional about dogs, now is a good time to go and do something else. Listen to one of our previous episodes. Um, With that warning out there, we're going to be talking about the really hard uh, experience that can happen when you have to look at possibly surrendering a dog or rehoming a dog that you have. Um, We have had a couple friends of our family in the past year who needed some help doing this. And Um, because we talk a lot about dogs, people kind of figured, Hey, Michael and Nicole know a lot about dogs. Maybe they know how to handle this. So we wanted to talk about this, um, and don't know exactly the best way to dive into it. It's one of those tough transitions, but I guess the scenario is you or somebody that, you know, has had a change in their life. They may have gotten a new job, needed to move to a new city, and they were previously living in a house and they didn't have access to that in the new city and they're living in an apartment and they need to rehome their dog. Another situation or scenario that can sometimes bring this up is, um, you know, as you age, maybe you got uh, a very large energetic dog and your ability to be mobile has decreased because of an injury or um, other life event and you can't keep up with the dog or the dog is larger uh, than you and you're worried that the dog might knock uh, somebody whose balance is not great over and cause an injury. And also scenarios of where um, you've had a new baby come into the family and the dog may be appearing to be aggressive to that child. All of these are heartbreaking scenarios. All of them are really hard to do. We've had different friends of the family that have experienced these types of things. And 
I'm thankful that they thought of us to ask. I'm thankful that Nicole was um, willing and able to try to consider all of the knowledge that she has. She looked at a lot of things online to try to figure out how to do this. Are, are there any stages, any ways of approaching this, Nicole, that you would recommend if this is something that comes up for somebody at some point in time in their life? I think the most important thing to remember when you are thinking about rehoming a dog, especially a person who has had this dog for a long time, there's a person in our life who had a dog from when the dog, we'll call the dog Spot, from when Spot was just a puppy, they had the dog for six years. And it's a long time. They had a they had a baby and Spot did not like the baby, which Spot has every right to not like kids. Not everybody likes kids. It's just a thing, you know? It, not people, not every person likes kids. So not every dog does like kids. And moving from being a pet parent because you know you have a dog in your life for that long, that dog is a member of your family and feels like a child. Um, and, you know, because it's a dog and it's not like you can have a conversation and say, hey, you know, you've got a younger brother or a younger sister now. You can't have that type of conversation with them. If a dog is growling or might nip at the child, something could trigger the dog. Something really horrible could happen where either the dog or your human child gets hurt badly and causes even more heartbreak and things and like is, is there do you have any even tips of how you would assess of is this something that could even be corrected is this something that we need just to have separate spaces of the house like the dogs in the basement and the the children of the house are in a different space I think with aggression and children, I think that is a deal breaker. And I think that no matter how long the dog has been with your family, you need to you need to rehome the dog. I don't think it's fair for anyone involved. I think that there is always a better, happier place. I think the dog will, like for instance, Spot, will have a better outcome and a happier life in another home. I think the the children will be safer and Spot will be safer in the long run. It's not fair to anyone to keep everyone segregated and separated by gates and doors. It's just not a healthy household. It really truly is not. I I believe and we don't have children in our house but Clementine is kid-friendly. Clem loves kids. And Clem is not around kids on a regular basis, but she really loves children a lot. I believe... I'm walking her, I have to ask. Like, normally the rules are people are supposed to ask you if they can pet your dog. I ask people if my dog can come and say hello and meet them. So, sorry. So oppositely funny in that scenario. Yeah, she she really enjoys getting to say hello to everyone. I believe that people can prepare their dogs for children, but you can do everything right and your dog still may not like children. It's just 
Some dogs don't like other dogs, and some dogs do not like children. It's just the way it is. It's going, it, it might happen, unfortunately. And so if you are in that predicament, you have to do the right thing for your dog and your family. And it's, you know, it's, it sucks. It's hard. And our friend had to rehome their dog spot recently, and it was really hard for them. And I feel terrible, but it's an impossible experience to have to go through because it's it hurts like a death in the family or like the loss of a lifelong friendship or relationship and you know you go through i would think the stages of grief of kind of like denial bargaining all of those different phases not always necessarily in the same order but you definitely go through those and you start to doubt yourself and think am i a horrible person and and everything else but I, I think what you say is really wise and smart that the, the kind thing to do for all of the dogs and humans in your family is to try to find another place for them because if, it, yeah, it just it's, it's the best thing to do. Um, you've got a couple pieces of advice of where to start because it's not like they have a class in school where they're like, hey, here's what to do if you ever have to rehome your dog. So it's like, where where do you begin for that? It's, it's not like there's a 911 number that you call for an ambulance for dog rehoming. Um, if somebody was having to consider this type of thing, where would you recommend they start? I When I helped a, one of our friends, I put a, a note on our local Reddit page. We have a a Reddit community in our local city, and they were very helpful. Um, Another person we know put a note on their local Reddit page, and he got different responses. It was kind of a half-and-half mix. The the trolls of Reddit were very unkind, and the experts, people who like professionally train dogs in... Uh, this person's particular part of the world were very supportive and said, you're absolutely doing the right thing. This is not a training issue. This is not a something else. This is not on you. This is something that you really can't get around and you're doing the right thing. I was, I know that we were keeping an eye out for that particular Reddit just to see how the conversation went. I was really disappointed by the people who kind of started to attack and judge our friend for this hard thing that they have to do and like holy cow this person's actually asking for help and the first thing that some of the people on the community do is attack them personally and call them bad names or accuse them of things it's just when you need help that's not what you need to have happen is to be attacked in that way but they had a couple positive reviews i think that your your findings was that they had shared some good advice um what so try reddit some communities are going to be better than others are there other places in addition to reddit that you would recommend i think i would start with your local reddit page and ask about rehoming and then i would also do local facebook pages i would 
do the the local if you have a neighborhood Facebook page I would start there and I would also do a a, a breed specific Facebook page I would be wary of rescues and of like uh, animal shelters I would stay away from those as long as I possibly could I would use those as a last resort Is there any but, particular reason why because we know how they work and most dogs who go through those would have to go to the rescue itself and you never know your dog might be going to a place where they would be sitting in a, a shelter so they would be sitting in a, a crate or a cage and it would it just might be a bit of a shock to the dog who's been in a home environment but I would also be very, very extremely upfront and honest with the people you speak to. If you're, do- if you're rehoming a dog because you just had a child and your dog is showing signs of aggression, not that your dog is being aggressive, but your dog is getting a little growly or your dog is being a little territorial about food and toys, be super duper transparent about what is happening in your house. Do not try to cover anything up. Do not lie. Do not, you know, paste over the truth at all. If anything, be too transparent because you do not want your dog to go to a house where then the issues will be exacerbated and things will get worse you just you want the best outcome for what is going to happen really because this is going to be a big change for your dog as well so you have to think about that yeah that's that's a an interesting observation cuz like if you if somebody naturally thought well I want to give my dog the best shot and you don't disclose some of their idiosyncrasies or things that really could create a bad situation. Like if the home that the dog's going to does have another child, one of the risks of not telling them about that is they don't have the multiple years of history that you do. And they're either going to bring the dog back to you or they're going to take it to a shelter. The dog can end up being put down. It just, it, it's completely the opposite of what you would want as a um, a pet parent and everything. So there's that. Um, and I think that our friend actually did have success through their local uh, Facebook connections. They had gotten in touch with a page. I think they um, had connected with a, a, a page that was about the specific breed of their dog. So it wasn't a rescue, but it was a, a local regional page about people who were fans of a specific dog. So like for us, the equivalent would be an Aussie uh, or Newfie mix type page uh, local to the Kalamazoo region. Um, And he was actually able to find uh, a home quickly. I think that he did it within a day or two, didn't he? Yeah. Most people who are really into a specific breed of dog 
are very passionate about that breed of dog and you you shouldn't have any issues if you talk to the right people it's just a matter of it's who you know it's really truly who you know and reaching out to people and asking for help in the most honest and upfront way that's what you have to do you just can't be afraid to ask for help and you have to keep asking until you find the right person it's just about the connections that you make and that's what he did and he was able to find a new place for spot and through the breed specific things and spot will be going to a a not a better place but a new place that will be better for him so he'll continue to be loved as much as he was in the home that he spent the first six years of his his life in um and like potential dog aggression is just one of the reasons that somebody find that they may find that they need to rehome a dog other things it could be related to uh, having a child it could be that you were single and you got in a relationship with somebody dog allergies can be a really big thing too to the point where a dog has to be rehomed it's not short of, it's not as simple as your nose is sniffling a little bit it's that you have a serious allergy to something related to the dog um what I don't know if we've specifically seen that, like we've experienced that ourselves in terms of adopting a dog, but what are some of the things that people would look out for or need to know about dogs and allergies? Some people think that there are hypoallergenic dogs like doodles. And I think there are some dogs that people believe that are hypoallergenic, but there is no such thing as a hypoallergenic dog. Every single dog has the potential of being an allergy producer because people are allergic to saliva and fur and dander. And so anyone can be allergic to any dog or cat. Um, And so you can brush your dog and bathe your dog, which will help, but you will still be allergic to the dog. And so... If you're allergic to the dog, it's it's going to be a tough road. It really is. Even doodles, even doodle dogs can cause severe allergies. And there's there is I think you mentioned this confusion about that term hypoallergenic. Um I think a lot of people think that means no allergies. If they looked at it online, they would probably find a definition that says it's relatively unlikely to cause an allergy. If you go to Wikipedia, they say hypoallergenic means below average or slightly allergenic. Um, And weird facts, because we're always interested in things like this. Um, They think that some of the first times that that particular term was used was in the 50s and possibly as early as the 1940s in advertising campaigns related to cosmetics um, being hypoallergenic or potentially not likely to cause skin and other kinds of distress. And it means kind of like hypoallergenic to who? Like doodles can potentially be less allergic reaction generating for some people, but I think part of the key with that is it's not that way for every person, right? Yeah, people think that they're not allergic because poodles don't shed a lot. 
but the problem is is that usually the dog that the poodle is crossed with like a golden retriever or a labrador or a bernese mountain dog those dogs do cause the allergy and just because a dog doesn't shed a lot doesn't mean they're not going to cause an allergic reaction because all dogs have saliva in their mouth and you can be allergic to a dog's saliva so it can still cause an allergic reaction i know for me um there are, are certain breeds of dogs where my skin reacts to the oil that is on their hair. Like if, if they've been recently bathed, my hands are less reactive to it. I think it's maybe it's the eczema on, on my hands that will sometimes react to it. Um, but there's certain dogs where I just, I've learned, you know, say hello with your eyes and not with your hands, which is hard for me because I'm a hugger. Um, but yeah. People do equate allergies being related to shedding and it's saliva, dandruff, or oils. There's a variety of things that people can be um, related to. And it can vary from short hair to long hair dogs and more. Um, for those who don't have like an extreme allergy, are there things that they can do in general to make it so that the allergies have less of an impact on them? I think... Brushing your dog with the correct brush and then bathing. Like when Lou, my parents' dog Lou, comes over here, we give him a bath with a de-shedding shampoo, and that does help a lot because he sheds a lot. And until he gets a good brush with the correct brush for a lab and the shampoo, which helps get the his coat back under control because he's just he sheds. He's a lab and a hound and he just sheds a lot. His hair gets everywhere. So bathing, consistent bathing, but it's a lot of work. If you have a 50, 60 pound dog bathing them, it's, it is a lot of work. So if you don't want to get into that, if you don't want to bathe your dog once a week, and if you don't want to brush your dog every day, twice a day, then that is not the dog for you. And that much bathing probably wouldn't be pleasant for the dog either. Well, you'd have to use a special shampoo. Like when we bathe Clem, we don't bathe her once a week. She gets a bath maybe every three months. She gets a bath with special shampoo that's oatmeal and it's got oils in it and stuff that are good for her skin. I mean, we could give her a bath once a week with that shampoo, but we don't. It, you have to you would have to spend a lot of money on products. You really, really would. One of the um, other aspects about potentially needing to rehome a dog is related to behavior. It's not just behavior on the dog's part, like them being aggressive, but it can be behavior that adults uh, demonstrate to the dog or that kids demonstrate to the dog. Like if you don't understand how to read the signals, problems can result, um, particularly with kids, since they don't necessarily have the empathy or the understanding yet that a dog is a living creature. Like if, if you poked a little kid in their shoulder, like if they were two-year-olds, eventually they're going to be like, stop it. Like they understand that. But like if they themselves do that kind of poking on a dog, they don't connect the, hey, this isn't a nice thing. Um, I think that you've actually got some resources that you often recommend for that type of thing. And it's kind of like one of the last things that people often will think about 
if they're um, either bringing a child into a family that has dogs or bringing a dog into a family that already has young children. What, what are your recommendations usually for that scenario? We've talked about it before. And if you are bringing a new dog into your house, whether you have kids or not, you should always start with training. And if your dog is showing any signs of nervousness or anxiety or aggression towards toys or food or anything, you should not react in an aggressive manner back towards them. You should look at some positive reinforcement training. And a good way to do that is look up Simpatico training on YouTube. It's free. All of the videos are free. You can pay for a extended course, but you don't have to. And that will show you some ways to do some positive reinforcement training. It will not, absolutely not train any negative behaviors out of a dog, but it will definitely help. When we got Clem, she had some issues and they were all, they all had to do with confidence. When she saw another dog, she would react negatively. She got barky and growly, but we taught her that we were in charge. And so when she saw another dog, she she would just check in with us. And that taught her that we had her back. We would handle it. So now she just looks at us. And if she sees that we're okay, then she's okay. Yeah. And once in a while, she still has some challenges and we just have to remind her and help her to refocus. You know, nobody's perfect, including dogs. But it's amazing what that type of work can do to make life easier in general. Um, I think one of the other things in in addition to like not pulling or poking at a dog that um, people don't realize is like the dog's bed or the dog's crate is kind of a special space too, isn't it? Yeah. The other thing is, is if you do have kids, you need to prepare them and you need to help them understand that this dog is another family member. And there's a book called uh, Tales Are Not For Pulling, and it is geared towards smaller kids. But honestly, even if you have elementary school kids or middle school kids, it's a simple book. It rhymes. It's very easy to understand. And as soon as your kids can understand board it's a board book so it is like a cardboard book as soon as your kids can understand that book you need to be reading that book to them it teaches them boundaries with animals and it says right in that book if you get and it rhymes of course but if you get into the dog space that dog is going to bite you and it says that but it says it in a nice and friendly and rhyming kid friendly way but it also teaches them that their the dog's bed is the dog's bed. And when the dog is on the bed, you don't go on the dog's bed because that is where the dog goes to have their own space. And dogs are like real people. They have boundaries. And so trying to get distance if they're feeling cornered or them growling or them nipping, those are usually warning signs that their, you know, their space, their boundaries are feeling at risk for them. Yeah, it's, it is a really great book. It 
teaches kids how to interact with animals in a super realistic, not scary, but a very realistic, hey, this is, these are animals. These are members of our family that we need to respect and take care of. And it's, it's just a really great book. She did a Elizabeth verdict. She did a really good job. And I think that all kids need to, to read the book. I think it should be a part of every household that has an animal just so that kids can be aware of, because I think a lot of kids do not understand that, you know, we don't use the dog as a pillow. We don't pull on the dog. We don't use the dog to help us walk and we don't pull on the fur and, you know, we don't yank on ears and things like that. It's just, I see way too many social media posts where kids are doing that and it just makes me cringe because that is, that's a recipe for disaster. It really, truly is. Certainly increases the chances that something bad is going to happen. Yeah, it's is not a good, not a good deal for anyone. So we've talked a little bit about things that can make a person realize, oh, I might have to look at rehoming my dog. We've, we've talked about um, some ways to find resources to make that happen. We've talked about some other related details. What about when that moment comes where uh, a pet parent is talking to a person who may prospectively be adopting their dog? Um, what should they do in that situation? What should they be paying attention to in terms of their feelings? Like if, if they have concerns, should they just steam ahead? What, what's the best way to work through that part of the process? I think that if you are rehoming your dog, an animal that has lived with you for a while, a long time, and you are talking to a person who wants the animal to go and live with them, my belief is that you will, you'll know, you'll have a feeling one way or the other, and it will be a gut feeling whether or not it's the right fit. I just, I went through this with one of our friends and he met with three people and one of the people was completely qualified. The person lived in a home, had a good job, but both our friend and I knew that this person was not the right fit for the dog. We just both knew and we discussed it, and it was interesting because we both had a gut feeling that this person, very nice person, stable in their life, but we both knew that it would not work out. Not because the person wasn't capable, but just because we both just knew. And interestingly enough, a few days later, the person contacted our friend and said, I've decided that it won't work out. So our feeling was correct. It's important to be able to listen to one's gut or their root feelings on things. Yes, I think intuition is important. Maybe not everybody has it, but I think that most people do. I think if you have a bad feeling about something, I think you should listen to it. So if you are hesitant about a person you should pay attention to that hesitancy 
and just take some time and say, you know, I need a couple of days to think about this and take the couple of days. It's a big decision. It is. We've both expressed frustration with animal rescues in terms of the number of qualifying things you have to do to even be able to be considered to adopt a dog. Some of those I think we agree with. Some of them we think are a little bit too much, like having to provide pictures of every room in your house and provide 10 references and things like that. Like I understand people looking out for the welfare of the dog. Um, but if somebody is a first time pet owner and they're having to think about something like this, are there any, um, qualifying conditions to consider of whether or not the person is single and they work all day, if they have a house and a yard, if they've uh, if they have any experience with that particular breed, are there any things like that that are good qualifying things to consider? Uh, all of those things. I honestly would, I would not rehome my dog who had some behavioral issues to a person who has never had a dog before, especially who were who was not familiar with the breed. I I just personally would not. It's up, obviously, to the person who's searching for a new home, but I would prefer a person who is more experienced. I would absolutely ask for a vet reference because if a person is like me who has had lots of experience with a specific breed, my vet would, our vet has no problem giving a reference and giving anything that the person wants. As far as personal references go, I don't know. It is what it is. I think they're ridiculous, but what do I know? I think a vet reference goes way further than a personal reference because it's a personal reference. Of course, they're going to say good things about you. I mean, I think they're weird. Not necessarily anything that you're not going to be able to discern from talking to the person yourself. Yeah. I think personal references are ridiculous. Um, I think that you need to ask questions. And I think that if you talk to the person and the person does not ask you questions, like, what are you feeding the dog? Does the dog have any health issues? Are they currently on heartworm prevention? Are they housebroken? If, if, that, if the person who wants to adopt your dog who has some let's say, aggression issues, is not asking you questions about those aggression issues, that should be a huge red flag to you, a huge red flag, because that person who is wanting to adopt your dog is not doing their due diligence, which is a problem. Just is is a more likely than not that they do not have, they haven't had as much experience with that and so don't even know to ask that particular question, which can be a recipe for disaster of going from zero dog knowledge to having to take care of a dog that has some specific needs that are, that might be different than another type of dog. Ah, this is a topic that's just, it's never easy. It's, uh, it's a lot of things to have to think about. It's a hard process to have to go through whenever we have somebody who we read about who's thinking about this, who are, who are, are asking us for help. Our first reaction always is, oh, because it's just, it, we feel such empathy. It's such a heartbreaking 
thing to have to do and it just it's so so hard but thinking of all these details are right things i was thinking back to some of the things that you had said about the start of the process of trying to find somebody that advice that you said i didn't hear it in this way when you first said it but you were talking about the benefit of working with a local group that are fans of specific breeds that kind of gets around the people who might not be familiar with what the requirements of that breed entail. Like if you're into Aussies, they're dogs that need activity. They're not sedentary dogs. Um, The brilliance of that as a place to start really does save a lot of challenge along the way. Yeah, it's, it is a really tough situation to be in and people hide the fact that this has happened to them, which is really, really sad because it is unbelievably common. And if you fill out any dog adoption form for any rescue, one of the questions is, have you ever given up a dog? Have you ever rehomed a dog? And that question automatically precludes you from adopting from those rescues, which is really, it's dumb. Yeah, it's it's really dumb. All reasons that a rehoming or surrender would have to happen mean bad owner. It's, it's the wrong kind of thing to use as a red flag. It actually should make it, it, it should, I don't want to say it should move you up on the list, but if you have rehomed a dog, that actually should make you seem more responsible. It's an indicator. It can be an indicator that you are more aware of and responsible for the actual benefit and safety of the dog. Especially if you've rehomed responsibly. If you have done your homework and you have made it so that the dog has had a successful rest of their life. I mean, this is a a rescue group who is precluding you from adopting because you have rehomed a dog, which is what they do. They rehome dogs, which is just absolutely ridiculous. They should just ask, how many times have you ever had to rehome or surrender a dog? And then use that as a, a conversation point. Like, don't necessarily put in a, why did you have to do it? Because people may just write around it at that point. But it's a legitimate, it can be a legitimate question to ask, but... If they're simply putting it in there so that they can decline somebody from adopting, that's just, that's not smart. So I think that anyone who is going through this right now and to our friend who just went through it, I think that you are doing the right thing. I think that you are taking care of the dog in your life and your family and you are Anyone who tells you differently, just ignore them because they don't know what you're going through. They have no idea what it's like to be you and you're, you're taking care of what you need to take care of. And once you, once everyone gets settled, your life will be not, I don't want to say happier because that sounds crass, but your life will be, everyone will move forward in a more positive way. And it's a quality of life thing for everybody involved. You will feel better that you did it and you will be able to breathe easier because you won't be worried that someone's going to get injured and it will, it will be a better, it'll be a better thing for everyone and just ignore 
the people who tell you differently. Just ignore them. Just know that they do not know what they're talking about. And they are probably living in misery. Those people are probably living with dogs who are aggressive and scary or who they're allergic to. And their lives are probably pretty uncomfortable. And they just don't want to admit it to themselves. And that'll just carry over and feelings to everything else in their life. It's, it's easy for us to say it. It's really hard to do it, but it's so important to do it, which is why we're emphasizing it so much. Yeah, it's something that more people need to talk about. Well, I know that we collected a lot of links um, related to this, and we will be sharing those on notjustrainbows.net. Um, you can visit us there online to listen to this episode, share information with a friend, access some of the resources that we mentioned along the way. Um, we have a lot of different episodes where we talk about dogs. Uh, season five, uh, season two, episode five, we talk about bringing a new dog home. Season two, episode two, we talked about the insanity of rescues and adopting a dog. And we also, um, in episode three of this season two, talked a little bit about dog aggression. And I'm sure that we will be talking more about different dog topics. But if you're somehow found this episode because you're looking for help with this particular thing. There are other episodes and show notes and links that you may find helpful. We'll include links to those particular episodes. Um, we welcome your comments and suggestions uh, for future topics and episodes, and we're thankful to have you as listeners. Until next week, we hope you have a fantastic week. Talk to you later. Goodbye.